dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, we return to downtown Paso Robles Wine District, and I am in Crazy Woman Cellars talking with Chris Bennett. With a name like Crazy Woman, it can be misconstrued, but this is not a derogatory name. Instead, it is the complete opposite. The winery is dedicated to celebrating the countless women who changed history. If you visit Chris, you'll notice the incredible mural and the numerous portraits of incredible women in history. You may not agree with what they stood for, but you can't deny they were fierce. If you listen to the lot of podcasts, you'll notice that many ask for Patreon. We do not do this, but we do ask for your support by leaving a review. It takes only a few seconds of your time, but means so much to the show. You can also help explore the wine glass by telling your friends about the podcast. If you enjoy it, your wine-loving friends will too. Also, don't forget to visit the website at www.exploringthewineglass.com where you can keep up with all things and sign up for the newsletter. Slancha! Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, someday service, champagne and cook that are on specialist, and a WSET level two graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of A Lore of the Poor, sponsored by Dracina Wines. We are back downtown and we are in Crazy Woman Cellars with Chris Bennett, so welcome. Thank you, it's good to be here. This was one of the first tasting rooms that when we were checking out downtown, that we had walked in and I fell in love with the whole vibe of it. So, you know, people need to get in here and see it. And we're going to talk about that vibe in a bit. But before we do that, I just want to hear your origin story. How did you fall in love with wine? Yeah, it, it took a long time to get there. I think longer for me than most. Uh, you know, I started out like most of my buddies, a lot of beer, a lot of tequila back in the day. If we were going to drink, that's what we did. We kind of looked at it as wine was for the ladies kind of thing and if you were a guy you drank beer or tequila uh, obviously pretty close-minded at the time um, but at some point in my 30s uh, i made my way to napa uh, with a group of friends and up until then i just thought red wine was red wine white wine was white wine never even understood varietals or anything about it didn't really care uh, and then i got to napa and started doing some comparative tasting and that was when it started to click for me how different each glass of red wine was from the one to the left of it or the one to the right of it and how you could really pick up the difference. And as soon as you start doing that, you start to develop a palette immediately. What did I like? What didn't I like? What was my favorite? Well, why is it my favorite? Why is it different? And it was a correlation for me that was very similar to cigars. I love a nice cigar every now and then. And like wine, cigars, to get a cigar in your hand, there's a long journey. There's, it's a very romantic kind of thing that exists in wine and cigars where Someone farms it for a tremendous amount of time. They put a lot of passion into it, a lot of effort. And then there's someone else that has to cut it and dry it and roll it. And there's different personalities with cigars, dark wrappers and light wrappers. And there's just a lot of correlation between that and wine. And so when I started trying wine, it connected with me that this also, to wind up in my hand, someone had to plant a vineyard and someone had to turn the soil and they had to maintain it. Someone else had to come along and they had to make the wine and just all this effort that gets a glass of wine into your hand. And if you stop and think about it, you know, each glass of wine is rather majestic, whether it's uh, your favorite wine or not, there's a lot of effort, someone's heart and soul went into it. So I connected on it almost on an emotional level. Uh, and then the more I started trying it, the more I started to develop what I liked and what I didn't like and uh, eventually made my way to Paso. I lived in LA, Paso was only a three hour drive away. And so in addition to the wine, I just fell in love with Paso's culture. It is 30,000 people, but in a small town, you, you go to the dry cleaners, you know somebody, you go to the grocery store, you know somebody, whether that's good or bad, <laughs> depends on the person. But very small town, everybody was so incredibly warm. 
And so uh, Paso for me was like a living and breathing Thomas Kincaid painting. You know, it was just this soft, beautiful place where my blood pressure dropped. And so I wanted to be in Paso and I wanted to be involved in wine. And the more I was here, it just kind of took on a life of its own and almost kind of took over my life and what I thought about from day to day. So I'm going to say you are the very first person who has correlated wine to cigars. And I have never thought about that. But it's brilliant because it really. You're a cigar lover before we're done today. Yeah, you know what? My brother smokes cigars, and whenever I'm with him, I'll do one puff or whatever just to you know to taste it, and that's all I'm doing is you know he'll go, oh, you'll like this one, and you know, um, but the taste really is very the flavors, the aromatics, all of that stuff. I think maybe you should do. um, I don't even know if this could be a a cigar pairing. Yeah. Yeah, I've thought about it, except I've been in an indoor tasting room when it's most of my customers are women. So I don't know how big of a sale it would be, but there's I do women think about who it. do cigars. That's, I've been surprised from time to time. You just don't know. I, I, at home, I think about it. You know, sometimes I'll light up a cigar and I'll think, what do I want to drink with this? And you always wind up going, of course, with a bold, leathery red of one kind or another. <laughs> and, and it's amazing. And I know it sounds crazy, but even, even to someone who doesn't smoke cigars, if I ask you, what would you pair with a cigar, a rose? or a big, heavy, petite Syrah, you'd say, well, of course, a petite Syrah. Like, there's an obvious connection there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I, I, I think I'm putting you on that mission. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> mission, mission accepted. Yes. And so you found your way to Paso, and did you start making wine right away? Did you? So what happened is I, I semi-retired. I bought property on purpose with land to plant. Uh, so it was definitely in my mind, but I was also well aware that it's a great way to lose all your money if you're not careful. And so at first what I thought, I'd, I'd spent 28 years selling insurance. That was my living. That's how I got my kids through college. That's how I paid my mortgage off. That's how I was going to retire. And and I ran my own business and I was very proud of the business we ran, but insurance is not the most exciting thing in the world. So I did it because I had to. It was my job. So, you know, they say often that a second job, their second career is what defines a person. You know way more about them based on what their second career is because we often choose that based on our passions after doing our first career to meet our obligations. And so I thought I just wanted to farm grapes. Um, I was in love with the idea of it. I was loved the idea of not being in an office, not looking at spreadsheets, driving the tractor, getting my hands dirty. That was really what I wanted to do. So I went to school uh, to Hancock College, which is a program I cannot speak highly enough about. Cal Poly, God bless them, great program, but they wanted me to um, matriculate. They said, look, you have to take your general ed, you have to take English and health. And you know, I was in my late forties and retired. And I thought, well, that's <laughs> two years I'm gonna give up for something I'm not interested in. So they, they recommended Hancock College. It's in Santa Maria, California. They have a great viticulture program, great enology program. They have a fully functional commercial winery on campus that you work in. Uh, they had a vineyard on campus with about 20 varietals. And wow. so you just don't sit there and watch a PowerPoint presentation on chemistry. You watch that and then you leave and you go and I worked for two years. And, and it's a great program for them, but it's not only it's free labor, but it's labor that's paying them to be there. Right. <laughs> but you learn all the mistakes. We made some Herculean mistakes. Uh, I remember us hooking up the wrong hose in the bottling truck and we bottled 50 cases of Chardonnay and Cabernet bottles. You know, it's, you, you learn very quickly how awful it can be if you're not paying attention. Um, but anyway, I, I took the viticulture program first and I thought I was just going to farm grapes and sell them to winemakers. I had no, no inkling of making wine. But I thought when I was in school, well, if I'm going to sell wine grapes to winemakers, I should understand how winemakers think. So I'll take that program. And I was maybe a half an hour into the first day and I'm like, oh my God, this, this is what I want to do. Challenge being I'd already planted an acre of grapes with a thousand plants. So I thought, well, you know, it looks like I'm going to do both. And so I farm my own vineyard. I say this all the time in the tasting room. Um, That is incredibly hard work. Uh, It is not like the Keanu Reeves movie. You're not running around on a white stallion, smoking a cigar, looking at your holdings. It is hands and knees, killing gophers, uh, spraying turning dirt over in, in soil that is hard as cement in the summer. It's brutal work. And so I, I lead quickly into the winemaking. I'm trying to have my nose in a barrel, then my hands in, in, in the soil under those conditions. But I, I farmed it uh, dutifully for five years, and then I handed off that aspect of it to someone to farm it for me okay. and focus strictly on winemaking. I finished the, the program at Hancock and, and started interning and making wine at home. And that's what you do. You immerse yourself 
and you say, let's make some mistakes. You know, let's see how this, this goes. And it was a great luxury for a couple of years to make one at home because there was no one to answer to and I could, I could make mistakes and I could experiment. And, and I have some of those mistakes in bottle in the basement of this tasting room and I hope no one ever finds them. Um, I tried aging whiskey in, in cap in, or aging, sorry, Cabernet in, in whiskey barrels uh, for, for 24 months. They saw nothing but a whiskey barrel. And guess what? It tastes like whiskey, whiskey. it looks like cab. <laughs> and uh, I gave it to a friend to try who was a wine connoisseur. And he said, uh, it tastes like church wine and battery acid. Oh, <laughs> but nothing great, like telling you the luxury. truth. <laughs> yes, no, and, and I appreciate it. What a great luxury to say, let's just yeah. screw around. So uh, I interned at a winery called MCB where I still crush and Matt Ballard there was very patient with me and I learned a lot from him. And the thing about Paso is all the winemakers are so collaborative. And so that you can ask questions and they'll answer. And I, I just had a lot of friends help me out, give me feedback. I had a mentor named Marcy Millette, who's the smartest person in Paso Robles, period. She's a chemist. Um, winemaker at Gallo for many years and if any winemaker in Paso runs into trouble I don't care who it is how experienced they are her phone rings Um, and so when you surround yourself with people like that it's kind of hard to go wrong so long-winded answer but uh, the journey to get to opening a tasting room um, I respected that that was I needed to put in seven or eight years of work and learning from people before I dared open a tasting room and and, uh, I put the time in and loved every second of it. And I still lean on some of those people sometimes. And during COVID thought, you know what? Life's short. Why don't you open a tasting room and have some fun and see what happens? And so we truly do this for fun. That's fantastic. So you planted those vines. What was your first actual vintage com- commercially? Not 20 was the first vintage for the Cabernet. We planted Cabernet first, 500 plants, and then planted Syrah about a year later. The cab uh, is part of our, so our 20 cab is multiple vineyards. It's Onyx, uh, it's a West Side Vineyard, and it's my vineyard that was in Templeton, that's in Templeton. Um, our Syrah appears in our 21 Syrah, which we just bottled and will release probably sometime later this year, tasting amazing. But it's it's our own Syrah plus uh, Onyx's Kyler Canyon property in Willow Creek. And um, very excited about that as well. So the cab and Syrah have surfaced in 20 and 21 as as part of those bottles um, and uh, and the rest we source from the best grapes we can get in Paso honestly. I mean, that's that's the winemaking style. If, if the question comes up to that at some point, it's buy the, the best grapes we can get, buy the best barrels we can get and try to stay the hell out of the way. And it served us well in that um, the outcome with the wine has been what I hoped for, particularly on the reds. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's that saying, you can't make great wine from shitty grapes or, you know, bad grapes or whatever. Um, oh but God, you... is this a PG-13 <laughs> Oh, you can say whatever oh, you want. Yeah. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Uh, I can just, this was a, there's a little explicit language in this episode. Got That's it. all I've got to okay, say. There we go. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Well, we'll, we'll use the kind of language when we talk about the economics of owning a wine. Oh, very Great. But you definitely can overwork wine. So you can have great grapes and the winemaker can screw that up. Yeah, I, you know, everybody has their own winemaking style. And I say all the time, there's no bad wine. I mean, unless there's an overt flaw like VA or something. But everybody's winemaking style is different. And there are great winemakers in Paso whose wine I can't stand. And there's winemakers no one talks about that I think their wine is amazing. And um, But uh, I do feel personally that you should taste a difference from vintage to vintage. And there are great wineries, great winemakers, and it's just different philosophies. But their philosophy is they've got a huge wine club to cater to. And so every year they have to meet that wine club's expectation by making sure it tastes a little bit like the prior year. They're afraid that if a vintage is vastly different, that people will say, well, look, I love your 19, but I'm not so fond of your 20, so I'm gonna exit the wine club. And that's everybody's um, decision to make, and that's fine. Um, I love wondering every year what the outcome is going to be. And outside of getting a real problem vintage, and that does happen. Last year, our Petite Syrah had a lot of mold in it. We had to do a lot of sorting because it okay. rained the rained. day before it picked and it was 100 degrees. And you know Petite Syrah, yeah. the bunches look like you know, smashed faces. <laughs> There's no room for the wind and everything to go through there. So outside of just having a problem, which we all do, we all have that year when the grapes come in and go deer. Yeah. Most years though, the for us, we, we work with great farmers, we work with Onyx, we work with Glen Rose, we work with Kalisa. Um, 
the grapes come in their generally immaculate condition. And then my job is to just be a shepherd and, or a Sherpa, really a Sherpa, you know, and just kind of say, okay, we're going this way and, and okay. just get it through fermentation. We do use cultured yeast because uh, we tend to use big, bold reds. We pick it about 26 bricks. I'm a big believer in getting through fermentation. <laughs> cultured yeast is a nice way to ensure that you get through it. For those that use native yeast, I, I respect that. It's a risk. Um, and uh, I just don't like any residual sugar in my wine at all. So um, not to get too far off topic, but so we use basically the best grapes, the best barrels, get it through completely through fermentation, and then just let it do what it's going to do. And if you use great grapes and you manage it and you keep it topped and everything, you don't have to use a lot of sulfur. You don't have, you just don't have to do a lot. And so guess what? Our 19 Syrah is so different from our 20 Syrah. You wouldn't recognize them as the same varietal. Um, but I'm happy with that. And there are people that love the 19. There are people who love the 20. And you're here in Paso the last three years. Look at our summer this year. Yeah. What, when are we going to pick? Are we going to pick in November? I don't know. It, it's been such a cool summer. Yeah. Last summer it was 113 for like nine straight yeah. days. I picked my Syrah one day after I picked my DEA. They, they should have wow. six weeks Yeah. Apart. But wow. that's what I love about it. I, I love the approach of let's see what the grapes are going to do for us this year and let them do the talking and, and then you see what the vintage is and it creates great dialogue in the tasting room as well. When you did your first commercial vintage, yeah. were you, you know, you said you had the experience of school. Yeah. Where, okay, intern. I'm messing, I'm, you know, I messed up, but hey, it's school, right? And yeah. some internships where, okay, I messed up. But now this is my gig. Yeah. Um, did did something switch in your brain, like more panic mode, more Absolutely. stress mode, I not sleeping? It, uh, <laughs> since we're PG thirteen, I call it a laundry marking moment. You know, you <laughs> don't sneeze. You know, it's terrifying. Um, I'm just getting to the point now where I can taste my wine for what it is. The first two vintages, I could not taste it and like it. I was my own biggest critic. And I'm told that that's what every winemaker goes through. That for the first two years, like, this is awful. This is awful. This is not going to sell. I was pouring my wine for the first year in the tasting room, and I was um, emotionally flinching. You know, like, they're going to hate this. They're going to hate this. <laughs> and people are joining the wine club, and they're, and they're saying it's wonderful. And, and uh, it, it took me a long time. And actually, I have to give credit. Um, Callie, who's been with me from day one, um, my girlfriend, also the vision for the entire tasting room, our social media, everything but how the wine tastes, um, has been a great sounding board for me because she was tasting it and going, this tastes great. You're going to be mm -hmm. fine. You know, and I felt like I was getting like an emotional back rub for the first right. two years. Everybody likes you. You're going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's like part therapy, part, right. you know, to build the confidence because you, you just think it's just terrifying. Yeah. Um, when I was selling insurance, I had no control over the product. And so if they didn't like it, I said, well, some attorney drafted it. I'm sorry you don't like it, but that's what it is. I can't do anything about it. Right. It's a it's very different pouring something that you put your heart and soul into right. for two years and having someone say, mm, it's not for me. And it's kind of a gut punch. And then you get enough experience where where you, you make the correlation that, look, even my favorite restaurant, there's like two or three things I like in the menu and I don't like the rest of the stuff. And you start working in a tasting flight and you start building confidence. Well, right. yeah, they didn't like my Grenache, but wait till they try the Syrah. And I've even said to customers when they when they say, well, I'm not real fond of your Grenache. I, I look at them and I go, you know what? I'm going to get you. I don't know what it's going to be in the flight, but I'm going to get you. And you're going to look up and say, wow, I love this. So right. let's roll here and let's see what it is. And I always get them with something. And it just took experience in the tasting room to get comfortable with yep. it. And now when I try my wine, I feel like I can try it as a customer. And you know, that's, that's fantastic. And I know, I know the feeling like when they take that glass up to there, especially like each new vintage, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, it even, I mean, you're saying two years, we've been making wine 10 years and I'm still, that new vintage comes out and I'm like, when that first person tastes it, yep. you're like, ah, oh, cringing, cringing, like, and they say, oh my God, this is so good. You're like, all good. All but, good. but that circles back to what we were talking about earlier, which is if you're worried about each new vintage, it's because you're letting the vintage be what it's supposed to be. Right. If you made it taste exactly like the last vintage, you wouldn't have to wonder. You'd go, I know what this is. Your customer would say, I know what this is. Right. Well, now what do you talk about? You know, um, part of the adventure with uh, this also is we're still learning how long each, each year is different with bottle shock. So yeah. we'll bottle something in April and we'll say, okay, we'll give, you know, we'll give it eight weeks. And because we're boutique, we have to pour very quickly. I don't have years of inventory. Right. We're new and we're small. 
So I'm like bottling and pouring, bottling and pouring. Well, each vintage is different. We've got some that just came out of bottle shock. It took them, I don't know, three or four months to come out of bottle shock. And we're like, why is that? Well, this year's different than last year. And you just have to accept those terms. And um, even my 20 Grenache, we're almost out of it. We're down to a couple of cases and now it's tasting better than ever. <laughs> well, I wish I could have held that for a while. You know? Right. So right. Um, we're hoping to, we're trying to build up a little inventory every year so that we can let these things age out a little bit and pour. But I love the excitement of each vintage and wondering. And that's part of the thrill of this whole thing yeah. is the wonder. If we knew what the outcome was going to be. Boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, sometimes it's a little too exciting. That is. There, but, <laughs> but it is exciting. Right. So we are actually in the tasting room. So if anybody is going to watch it on the YouTube channel, you can see this incredible mural. Um, but so. And now a word from our sponsor. The 27 individual tasting rooms that make up the downtown wine district are situated in the heart of Paso Robles city center, where you are only steps away from all Paso Robles has to offer in the way of dining shopping and entertainment. Visit downtown Paso Robles to find yourself among the greatest concentration of wineries in the area. In downtown, consumers can experience Paso Robles' rich and diverse wine country lifestyle, sample quality wines from each of the region's 11 distinct sub-appellations, and have the opportunity to meet vintners that are as passionate about downtown as they are about their wine. Before we get into the incredible art, because there's meaning behind this art, yeah. the name Crazy Woman Sellers. So, controversial name, awesome. Personally, I think it's a kick-ass name. Mm. But, so tell us the true story behind the name. Yeah. So, you know, 350 wineries in Paso, I'm guessing. When I was working on the business plan for this about five years ago, I think there were about 250. Uh, and of course, the name and the brand are a big deal in wine. You know, you'd like to think that your success is based solely on the taste, but no one's gonna come taste unless they connect somehow with you. And so um, everybody thinks it's an ex-wife joke. That's the joke. Every person that comes and goes, it must be an ex-wife joke. And I always try and give credit where credit's due, which is it was my ex-wife's idea. She, um, she had been raised in Mendocino, California, which is kind of the last hippie colony in California. And she was uh, one of four sisters living with a, a single mom on a 160-acre homestead in the 1970s. It was a sheep barn with four little girls. No plumbing, no electricity, no doors, no windows, no phone. And, uh, you know, a good 20-minute walk on a dirt road to get to it. So it was very 1870s, but it took place in the 1970s. And they were surrounded by a ton of pot growers who would try and come on the property and plant pot. And they would just figure single mom, little girls, who's going to stop us? Well, my mother-in-law, her name was Wanda. Uh, she passed about 10 years ago, but uh, she carried a six shooter. And if you came on the property, you got shot at. She was protecting her little girls. She was protecting what little belongings she had. And it was the only way to protect her herself. No sheriff was going to come out. She had no way to call him. And so she developed a reputation very quickly in a little town called Ukiah. And then, and then this area where the ranch was. Uh, where no one messed with her. Even the, the pot growers were like, look, she's crazy, she's unpredictable. No one likes unpredictable, work around her. But what they really meant was she was fierce yeah. and they were intimidated. Pot growers were intimidated by this lady. And as you can imagine, she lived her whole life that way. I used to say all the time, it's not that she broke rules, she didn't know they existed. She kind of had this mindset of, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do and everybody's gonna get the hell out of my way. And so we were constantly wringing our fingers, worried for her. What's she going to do next? What kind of trouble is she going to get in? When is this going to come back and bite her? And it just never did. She just was a fierce woman. She she carried a, a small bag around with her with some belongings in it with a machete in it. <laughs> That's how wonderful. So we referred to her as the crazy woman all the time. It was a term we used around the house, meaning fierce. And uh, so my wife said, look, we use the term all the time. Let's call it crazy woman sellers. Women are the ones who taste wine. Women will connect with it. And all I kept thinking from a man's perspective was, you do not call women crazy, and this is gonna backfire. It's catchy, but they're gonna burn the building down. Right. And so we spent about six months debating it. And finally, uh, you know, I just said, look, no one knows your mom, but there's a million stories like her. Why don't we make it about all women where, you know, they made a dent in the universe, but half their battle was the fact that they were being called crazy. In other words, no one would listen because they were a woman. That story, there's a million of them. And then we can tell those stories. And, um, 
you know, in the end, she was right. 99% of the people that come in are women and they love the game. They get it immediately. They say, you're damn right, I'm crazy, watch yourself. And they sit down and they connect immediately with it. And so the tasting room, the website, uh, the Instagram, all the social media, everything is that same message over and over and over again. Callie does all that work. Uh, she found the artist. If you come to the tasting room, you're going to find um, hand-painted art of some of the most incredible women in history. Of course, we've made a very small dent because we don't have a big tasting room. But you're going to see the Rosa Parks. You're going to see the Harriet Tubman. You're going to, and it's it's apolitical. So uh, we've got Ayn Rand on the wall. I have a tremendous amount of respect for her. You don't have to believe her message, but you have to respect her fight. You could see her on 60 Minutes in like 1960 in black and white TV, Mike Wallace smoking a cigarette, <laughs> grilling her, and she mops the floor with him. Yeah. You did not do that in 1960. A woman did not go on 60 Minutes, argue macroeconomics, and beat the hell out of Mike Wallace. She embarrasses him. Yeah. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for Mike Wallace, but she just intellectually was superior. But she clinched her fist and had the fight. Gloria Steinem. She and Ayn Rand agreed on nothing. I've got their paintings facing each other. It's my inside joke. Yep. <laughs> they would have clawed each other's eyes out. They agreed on nothing but a woman's right to her body. Outside of that, they agreed on nothing. But you have to agree with both of them in that they believed what they were doing. They tremendous sacrifice, probably very hard lives in the public eye. Right. In in for in Ayn Rand's case, from the '40s until honestly the the '90s. In Gloria Steinem's case, the late '60s all the way through the '90s. These were not easy battles, and they stood up and let bullets bounce off their chest. And so that's the point of the room. None of these women agreed with each other. I'm not asking you to agree with them. I don't agree with all of them. You can't because they don't agree with each other. But you have to respect the fight. Uh, the mural we just had painted by a wonderful artist named Tim Abraham, a wonderful man, uh, Frida Kahlo, Maya Angelou, uh, Malala, let's see, uh, Amelia Earhart, and behind me, Judge Sandra Day O'Connor, the first female Supreme Court justice. We wanted something hip, we wanted something cool, but we wanted it to be respectful. We wanted it to be about the women who fought the fight. We're very happy with it, and it fits perfectly with our tasting room, which is great history, but also a laid back, fun vibe, a lot of velvet furniture. Yep. Every area is set up almost like your living room. Um, like commercial winery, unlike commercial wineries, we don't bring you in and say you get an hour because you've got your next appointment, please leave. We say bring your laptop, sit down, we're the Starbucks of tasting rooms. You want to sit down and hang out for a couple of hours? We love that. Have a glass of wine. You want to talk to us about all the paintings? You want to talk to us? We say all the time, anything but politics and poetry. There you go. <laughs> we're happy to talk to you about it. So that's the vibe. It's, it's, it's a hundred-year-old building, original hardwood floors. I wish they could tell stories. Yeah. A lot of just big area rugs, velvet furniture, beautiful art, and a lot of great conversation. Um, and it's, it's worked out great. The names work great. The vibe works great. All the social media that Callie does. We do, we, every month on our website, we have a crazy woman of the month. It's usually a woman you've never heard of. And you read it and you think, how is this not a movie? Um, our first one, and still my favorite, was the first documented female fighter pilot. Um, Marina Ruskova, she fought for the Russians in World War II. They were our allies. She was the first female fighter pilot. They were running out of pilots. They gave her a plywood plane, no cockpit, no parachute, no guns. Of course they did. <laughs> she flew over Russia. Imagine flying with no cockpit in Russia. Um, she was the first. She was a proof of concept. After her, there were a thousand female fighter pilots. They were called the Night Witches. They flew 23,000 missions, dropped wow. 30,000 tons of bombs on Hitler. Ever heard of her? She died in action. Wow. No one's yeah. heard of her. How is that not a movie? That story has to be told. Yeah. And uh, by the way, our 21 reserve Grenache is called Night Witch. Oh. Uh, yeah, so we do that every month. Every week we do a Woman of the Week on Instagram. It's usually more topical. It's when Betty White died. We focused yeah. on her work with PETA. Um, if they're on the wall here, um, they didn't just make a lot of money. They actually contributed to the universe. And now, a word from our sponsor. 
Exploring the Wine Glass is brought to you by Dracina Wines. Dracina Wines is an artisan winery located in Paso Robles, California. They have been producing wine since 2013. Their first vintage began with one wine, their classic Cabernet Franc, which received a 91 in Wine Enthusiast. Since then, they have increased production as well as expanded their portfolio, have received many accolades, including multiple double gold medals and consistent 90-plus ratings. Visit their website, www.dracinawines.com, or use the link in the show notes to schedule a private tasting and to see their entire portfolio. Purchase your award-winning wine and let Dracina Wines help turn your moments into great memories. They are awesome and they are fantastic conversational pieces. And, you know, I think that the, the name Crazy Woman, first of all, being right next door, people come, I can see how many people come and take pictures of the window. Yeah. You know, they're standing, they're doing the selfies in front of it. Sure. Um, so they definitely, they definitely get it. Um, but yeah, I can understand how you were a little nervous about starting yeah, with that. It, it didn't backfire though. We yeah. had one one you know young lady came in and, and ignored. She saw a crazy woman on the window and ignored everything. Walking up to the bar, there's forty or fifty paintings of yeah. amazing women. And, uh, our tagline is celebrating the countless women who changed history. It's on our window. Right, yeah. she missed all of it. Came in, balled me out pretty good. But uh, younger Chris would have thrown her out. But I've got a bunch of gray hairs now and some life experience. <laughs> I thought it'd be a great opportunity to have a conversation. And at the end of it, to her credit, she stopped. She looked at all the art and really uh, came back. She didn't apologize. It would have been great if she did, but she bought some wine and, oh, okay. and she left. And But that's the only person other than a gentleman who decided to yell at me about Ayn Rand. Um, he sat down at the bar and he was very upset about the fact that Ayn Rand was on the wall. And again, since it's PG-13, I'll tell you what I said, which was Ayn Rand's on the wall because she doesn't give a shit what you or anybody else thinks. The whole point is they did this. They couldn't have done it if they worried about people's right. opinions. She doesn't give a shit about what you think and neither do I. And uh, he hasn't been back, which is odd. Oh, weird. <laughs> weird. I won't yeah. say his name. But I know his name. <laughs> so you go back to the small town. That's exactly right. <laughs> yes. Show more respect than he did. So if you had to pick um, a specialty for crazy woman sellers, do you have one or? As far as the wine we make? Yes. You know, it's funny, people ask, we, we're, we're a Roan house. We make all Roans, the exception is we do make a Cab Soft because in Paso, Cab Soft's kind of a religion. It's got a rich history here along with Zinfandel. Um, but we make a Cab Soft, everything else is Roans and people say, why Roans? When you start new, you need to get great contracts. And in Paso, we grow a lot of Rones, and so you're more likely to be able to get a grape contract on Rones, right? <laughs> if I decided to make some unusual grape, there might have been one farmer that made it or two farmers, and so I've just been reducing my odds. So I started with Rones, um, but I also started with Rones because that's what I enjoy drinking. And if you're going to stick your nose in a barrel for two years, you probably ought to pick wines that you enjoy drinking. Um, and so I love Rones. We make a Grenache, a Syrah, a Petite Syrah. We make a GSM. Um, on whites, we have a Vignet and we have a Grenache Blanc, and then all of our rosés generally are sauvignoned off one of those, and so okay. there'll be a Syrah base or a Grenache base and so forth. But I will tell you that my the grape I'm passionate about is Syrah. And the reason I love Syrah, I say this all the time, uh, it, it's kind of the chicken of grapes. People say I like Syrah, and I say, well, that's like saying I like chicken, what do you mean? Mm. You can love chicken, but is that fried chicken? Is it barbecued chicken? Right. Is it chicken cacciatore? Is it chicken soup? You know, there's a million things you can do and alter it. And Syrah is, it's really kind of the schizophrenic of, of grapes. It can be anything. Um, almost every version of it I like. People make Syrahs that are kind of leathery. They make them that are just 17% alcohol. They make them their fruit bombs. You can really do a lot with it just depending on what you like. Um, and so I like that because I, I like not knowing exactly what it's going to be. Where cab, God bless it, we make a cab. Everybody makes a cab. But if, if you open a cab for me, I just know it's going to have a nose of cherry or cherry cola. Mm -hmm. I know what the finish is going to be. Even cab blends, I know almost just off the nose, whether it's cab heavy or something else heavy. Syrah is just so tricky and so interesting. And it's, it's like your best friend. If you have a really good best friend, it takes years to know them. They're complex. That's why they're your friend. If you knew everything in 10 seconds, uh, what's interesting about that? The most interesting people are the people that are 
open about their flaws and open about the mistakes they've made. And Sarah to me is just like this child that doesn't know what it wants to be yet. And so, um, I don't know, it's, it's just a grape I fall in love with. And so I spoke earlier about how we let each vintage talk about what the terroir was that year. We let the grape do that. Our 19 Syrah turned out to be, uh, ironically, in a year where we had no fires, it wound up very smoky. <laughs> People thought, oh, smoke taint. We had no fires in 19. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not smoke taint. Um, See, just... no, that bothers me. I'll get your That bothers no, me because there are, there are two very different smokes, right? There right. is Syrah smoke and then there is smoke taint, which right. is not smoke, it's ashtray. That's right. It's a very different thing. But That's the right. consumer, they, well, every, the word smoke taint made its way into the ether, yes. you know, in 20 and now, and, and you've got all these people saying, if you have a 20, 20 it's, smoke, it's yeah. smoke taint. It's like, no, it is not. Yeah. Not in Paso Robles. There's a couple of people that were hitting North Paso with smoke taint. Most people were not. And yes, no, I know you personally <laughs> suffered from that. And that's, that's rough. And I have friends also that were in the San Miguel area and so forth. But, but a, a good Syrah, Petit Syrah, often has a smoky finish, yeah. unrelated to smoke taint. So our 19 tends to be... A little, little bit of smoke in the finish, a little bit of bacon. Um, Syrah often has a eucalyptus finish. Yeah. Uh, it, it can be so many different things. It's what I love about it. Our 20 Syrah, we say it all the time, it's just um, raspberries in the front and, and lava cake in the back. You cannot tell from the 19 to the 20 that it's not only the same vineyard, but the same plants. Yeah. And I swear to you, the same barrel protocol. Everything was done the same. I sourced the barrels from the same places, did everything the same way, but they were very different years. 20, ironically, was a year where we had a ton of smoke taint. This vineyard was not affected by that with one exception. We had cloud cover because of the smoke over the vineyards in Paso for about four or five weeks that summer. And so the grapes hung in the vines for like four weeks longer. They didn't get direct sunlight. So no smoke taint at all. You have to be near heat, actually, to get smoke taint. We were nowhere near it. But it just made for a lovely Syrah very different because they we, we picked in like November. Yeah. And then you get to 21 where we pick Syrah like the first week of September, you know, and so each year is so different, but I'm so happy with each of them. Um, and it, it makes it fun in the taste room. Sometimes we do Syrah flights with the door 19, 20 and 21. And you think, what the hell? How is this made the exact same way from the same plants? Like they were just three vastly different years. And I have a hunch 2023 20, now is going to be very different, you know, so. Uh, I just love that grape. It's Syrah, I consider our flagship. Now, when I say that, it doesn't sell any faster than anything else. All of our wine actually sells at about the same rate because people's palates are so different. Right. So, someone who tries our Viognier will love that. I'll try our Grenache Blanc and say, that's not for me. And say, I get it. One's very tropical, one's a lot of green apple, and so forth. Um, but to me, the, the wine I'm most proud of and the wine I have to resist taking home and drinking Callie's always saying you can't keep taking home the 20. You know, we're going to some for the customers. And we're down to about three cases. Um, I pulled aside a case or two for myself. That's the wine I want to take home. And if someone comes in and says, I love reds and I can only try one thing, I'm going to pour in the Syrah. Um, not because there's any more likelihood they'll like it, but that to me is my baby. That's the one that I, you know, if I'm going to have a dream about my wine at night, it's, 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 it's the Syrah. And it's okay. just because it's such an ambidextrous grape. And so you have a bottle here. Is it yes. Syrah? Yes. This is our 20 Syrah. Um, our label, unlike a lot of wineries, is going to be the same. The, the image on the label is the same. Um, we're really kind of branding the winery as opposed to branding the, the varietal. But this is our 20 Syrah. This is the one I was just talking about. Um, I'm going to use a word. and you, you, Callie's here in the background. If you hear her shriek, it's because she um, vehemently objects to the word. But I love the word swampy. <laughs> <laughs> wine she's over there right now rolling her eyes stop saying that but uh because it's probably not a good marketing word but i i love a syrah that or even a red wine in general that when you pour it almost feels like it's pouring like motor oil there's kind of a glug, glug. glug. it's just a thick rich and swampy is a term they use for blues music okay. when the beat is just a little bit behind where it should be it just kind of drags and it's just kind of swampy when i'm drinking this i think of blues music and I think of a, a smoke-filled room and, and people talking and just that's where my head goes emotionally, which is probably why I connect so much with wine because it's very much an emotional connection. And that's what I think about with this wine. And, and it reminds me when I started making wine, as corny as this sounds, you know, no one was ever happy buying an insurance policy from me. They had to do it financially responsible. No one left and said that was great. 
But I wanted to make something where I could think about the fact that I made something that's sitting between two people, two friends talking that haven't seen each other in years, or maybe someone's getting engaged. Yeah. They've got a glass of my wine. That, that notion that you're indirectly enriching an experience somewhere, that emotional tie to it. And uh, I feel that way, even if I'm drinking this by myself, and yes, I drink by myself, so I'm wonderful company with myself. <laughs> And, and that's that's what I think about with Syrah. I just think like this is um, this is just a smoke-filled room with some blues music playing. It's just that little bit behind the beat, kind of slow, thick, rich, swampy <laughs> red wine. So for the people who are viewing this, they can see that beautiful label. Yep. So the woman on the label, tell us about. I get this question all the time. It's, it's no one in particular. I've had people ask about different actresses and it was inspired by that. What I did was I hired a firm. I told them everything I've just told you about who we are. And I feel like I've been pretty articulate in, in really talking about what our message is. And for six months, they just kept coming back with witches, demons, and vampires. They just kept coming back with scary crazy. And I, I it was the most frustrating experience in the world. I, I could not get them to understand what we were going for. They finally came back with this label, but they had blood coming out of her mouth all the way down the front of her face. Oh my God. <laughs> so I said, you know, take the blood away right. and now let me look. And 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 I love it. I, I do think it's, it's, it's a, a visual image of what we are, which is it's an image of a woman who's got something on her mind. She's, you know, she's thinking about something, you know, she's got something to say, and you know also that she's, she's not going to be quieted, right. that she's going to say what she has to say. But it's also visually striking. There's a lot of color. Um, and, uh, I just think the second you look at, it, you think she's interesting. Wonder what she has to say. Without and, blood coming down. Yes. House. Without scaring anybody. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not bad. It's not bad. Crazy. It's, it's, there's something on her mind and she's going to speak her mind. And I, right. I think it, 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 it speaks to it. I've had lots of people ask, well, you know, Chris, why don't you have, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the label? Why don't you have, and, and it's called trademark law. Uh, well, you know, so I you have, have another. To be careful. But then, then to me, you're representing her, and that's not what your story is. Your story right. is all of the that's women. Such a, that's such a great point. I'm glad you brought it up. I'm not trying to push any singular person's message. I'm trying to push the fact that every one of them had to fight to get that message out, and and their collective message, which is if you're going to do it, you're going to have to ball up your fist. You're going to have to take a swing. And it's a great point. As soon as you isolate one of them, you're now saying, well, th this is about this one person. It's not, it's about all of them as a collective. Right. Absolutely. It's a great point. Right. Absolutely. I'm going to use that all the time and not credit you. There you, no problem. <laughs> no problem. But so also, so I have to extend some major congratulations to you because you just got the People's Choice Award and the Spirit Award at the... Uh, Winemaker wine Cook-Off. Yes. Yeah, we have a, a great local event in Paso Robles. I, I love this kind of small town stuff. This event was spotter, sponsored, uh, and all the proceeds go to the Rotary Club. Uh, I think we raised about $90,000. Wow. Every winery donated their wine. And what you did was you paired up with a chef. My uh, good friend Chad Walker, Good Eats Catering, uh, prepared a wonderful uh, uh, ahi tuna tostada. We paired it with our rosé. And there was, there was really two ways you could win. They had judges sitting there who were chefs and sommeliers and so forth. And, and those seven judges decided who the winner was going to be for the pairing. But also they had the, the regular Paso Robles folks uh, judge. And uh, I, I would have loved to have done better with the, the, the actual judges. I, I think we, we had a dynamite product, Chad's ahi tuna toast on was amazing. And, and so we didn't place in the top three there of about 32 uh, wineries. But for the people, the 900 people that came and paid to get in, we placed second with that group. And that's pretty exciting to know that, you know, the, the, those are I the think folks that's I'm catering to. Yeah, we're, we're catering to, um, you know, uh, the ordinary people that come in every day and, and do the, you know, to, to quote, uh, it's a wonderful life. They do the living and dying in the community. They do the working. That's kind of who our customer is. Now, we love to have. We'll, we'll, we'll pour for the snobs. We don't care. <laughs> we don't, we don't mind, but we're, you know, our typical customer is, is the, the Paso Robles, uh, wine lover. And we did very well with those folks. And I was honored to Chad invited me to partner with him and pair with him. And, uh, it was a great night, a great event. I think $90,000 went to educating Paso Robles youth. And so nothing but good stuff. 
And following up with that, you also donate to, in the tasting room sales, you donate to Must, correct? Yeah, Must, a, a great local charity here. Uh, they work a lot with wineries in Paso, and um, uh, we're one of many wineries, by the way. We're not unique in that regard. I, I, I think they raise, and I don't, I don't want to be wrong, but I think they raise millions of dollars a year just from working with wineries. And so we have a petite Syrah, or 20 petite Syrah, called Largesse, which is a French term for charity. And we donate some funds from every bottle we sell. Must turns around and they find charities that meet certain criteria. You know, most of the money has to go to the end beneficiary. And, and uh, so uh, as far as we know, last year, the money we donated went to providing tutors for the children of single moms, which is a uh, makes sense given what we're, our message with the winery and helping women. And if you think about it, if you're a single mom working all day and you come home, you've got to cook dinner, you've got to do all yeah. these things. Maybe your child is struggling with algebra or whatever. How do you get help? How do you find the time? So they send tutors to the house or to the school to help them through that. So we're very proud to work with Must. It's a great organization. I can't say enough about them. Wonderful people that work there. and uh, uh, We're happy to be part of it. So as I said at the beginning, we are actually in downtown. Yeah. So when you chose your tasting room, why did you choose downtown? You know, uh, it was part business decision, part uh, personal decision. There's other great areas in Paso like Tin City. If you haven't been there and you're watching this, go there. It's amazing. I love Tin City. Some great restaurants, great wine, just a lot of fun. Um, downtown Paso has a lot of history. The, the, my tasting room, like yours, uh, is over 100 years old. The, the, the actual building itself, it's been tasting rooms, it's been a bar, it's been I believe a brothel at some point. It's just part of the rich history of Paso Robles. This is a 125 year old town. The James Gang was here. We had the Sulphur Springs that people would come to all around the world for so-called healing principles. Um, there's tunnels under Paso Robles that connect all the buildings back to the Prohibition era. Um, and it's just got, it's just rich with history. And, and, but on top of that, the present is so amazing. If I, if I leave here during the day to go grab lunch, I'm, I'm just constantly saying hello to people. You know all the locals, you know every business owner. I grew up in LA, I, I yearned for that. I wanted that small town. You know everybody and people are here to help you if you need help. Um, it, there's a culture to downtown that um, makes you feel like you're in a different time, not just a different place. You feel like it's 75, 100 years ago. And, and um, I don't know, there's just something about it that it's almost, you can touch it, the, the feeling downtown. And there's no place I'd rather be. And if I wind up not in the wine business or I wind up with a, you know, doing tastings at a vineyard someplace or doing something different, um, I'll be here all the time. I can't get enough of this place. Often, Callie and I will leave here and go right over to another tasting room and watch live music. Or we'll, we, I just love being here. I, I can't get enough of it. So to me, it was obvious. And so if you had to explain downtown, it, this might be a tough question off the spur of your moment, but if you had to describe downtown in like five or less words to somebody who hasn't been here, what, what either describe it or you know, what do they need to know? I mean, first of all, I, I don't know the number of restaurants downtown that are all walking distance. I'm gonna guess and say 30. You might have a different okay. guess, but I would just guess there's 30 restaurants down here. Honestly, I could tell you uh, every one of them is good or great. Um, there are 31 last count tasting rooms downtown, and I don't care what kind of wine you like or what your sweet spot is, you will find multiple tasting rooms. And by and large, when you walk into that tasting room, you'll feel like a friend or a family member. I know it sounds corny, I know it seems unbelievable, but every single customer leaves here and says, I've been to three tasting rooms downtown today and I feel like I've made a bunch of friends. We are not that other wine tasting region in, in Paso Robles, I won't say the name of it, uh, where you feel pretentious and you feel like you're being judged and you hope you're using the right fork and you hope your pinky's up and you're sitting <laughs> right. People come in here, I had customers in here last week and they were barefooted. <laughs> All right. They plop down. You come into tasting rooms in Paso, people have their dogs with them. We don't do the dog thing uh, just because of the furniture and, and, and a couple of dog bite issues, but most tasting rooms in Paso, you can bring your dog, you can bring your kids. You can. It's just very family oriented. and. I see the same look in everybody's eyes when they come to Paso if they've never been here. They're honestly astonished and they all look at their, the spouses look at each other and say, how can we live here? Yeah. It's one of the few places I've been in my life where I came here on vacation 
when I moved here, it never stopped feeling like vacation. I've been here 10 years. Paso Robles is a living, breathing vacation. It's just the nicest people on the planet. It's the Midwest mentality with the best food and best wine you can get. I don't know how else to say it. Well, that's a great yeah. way to say it. It's a great way. Well, I want to say thank you for doing this. Thank you. And, I loved it. Uh, you know, and but how can people find Crazy Woman if they're not in if they're in Paso? You're on Pine Street. Twelve forty four Pine Street, right next to the world famous hundred year old Pine Street Saloon, right next to the world famous Tristina Wines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can obviously find us everywhere on social media. For those that still go to websites, uh, which now somehow seems to be passe, yeah. but crazywomensellers.com, uh, our Instagram handle, I think is at crazywomensellers.com. I was gonna yell at me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, Facebook, Crazy Woman Sellers. Uh, call us, email us, text us, Instagram. You know, we're, we're there. Go check out our websites, read the stories. Even if you don't wanna come drink the wine, I swear to God, the stories, you'll, you'll read them and you'll think, how can this be that I haven't heard this before? How are these not movies? Come see us. We're, we'd love to pour for you. I personally pour here. We're open three days a week. I, I pour Fridays and Saturdays. I know every customer. They know me. Um, I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. I feel it's a gift when people come in and they share their stories with me. Um, find us and, and come check it out. Yeah. And walk-ins? Absolutely. Walk-in. We'll always find a spot for you. Um, barring some kind of event where we're closed for a party or something, which is unusual. It's usually after hours. Otherwise, just walk in, bring your friends, let's sit down and drink some weird and wine and, and have some fun. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. I loved it. Bye. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Butt. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kievitz. Until next week, slancha. Right now.